What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Broken champions may lose, but their spirit remains unbroken. I am your host, as always, Blake Law Jr., and this is episode 88 of the podcast. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this show aims to do. We're going to be interviewing an elite player, maybe two, who have lost one or two games at a major event. How many times have you blamed a game on dice, bad luck, any of the above? We've all done it. I've done it. Matt Morisali has done it. We are going down to the stream house, deep, deep, deep in Tallahassee. And we are talking about the stream house RTT, an invitational tournament of eight players, the battle of some of the best players in the world. I was there last year, probably as a joke, and I got destroyed by Richard Siegler. You've probably heard that episode. Go listen to it if you haven't. It was embarrassing. Now, this is part one of the podcast. This part, we're going to be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, secondaries, target priority and all of the above in part two, which is available to subscribers to the Art of War Patreon. That is the competitive 40K network Art of War Patreon. You can see a link down below. We will be talking about how their list plays in the my list, your list, how their list might evolve going into the 10th edition. Who knows? We're in the wild west of 40K, and we will take this any direction we – who knows? Maybe we'll talk about – Age of Sigmar. I don't even know. It's all up in the air. And of course, no matter what, no matter where we go, no matter where we take it, we'll be talking about the one, the only, the elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today comes from a small country in Europe. I'm, of course, talking about the Austrian world champion, Mr. Matt Morisali. That is completely and utterly factual. Uh, Yes. I approve of this message. Yeah. The the Austrian world champion. And... um, you know, you can look it up. Their flag is yellow and green. And um, yeah, it's just it's fantastic. Matt, how are you doing today? I, I'm great. Besides from the misinformation that you are streaming out to our dozens and dozens <laughs> of viewers who now think that I am European and the Austrian flag is green. So we're, we're doing, you know, we're doing God's work here today, mate, and we're, we're educating the uh, the young listeners of the show. <laughs> Some people call me the professor. So, um, you know, I like to dissipate knowledge and just um, really make sure people know their geography. So it's been a while since I've talked to you, man. I got, I feel like I haven't heard your voice in quite a while. Have we gone a while without recording? Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. There's been uh, travel and, you know, some, some guest scheduling issues, but it's good to be good to be back on and, and talking about some 40K, talking to some cool people today, man. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's good to hear you, man. It's good to hear your voice. But we have two guests today, and I'm very excited. I, I couldn't even be more excited. These are two of my favorite people in the world. The first guest is someone who has been on this show before, I think maybe a handful of times. This this might be his third. He might join the three-peat club or maybe the four-peat. I don't know. I'll have to ask him once I introduce him. I'm talking about Mr. Q Money, Quentin Johnson. He has been dominating for the last two years, and I have to say – his paint game has gone from like an eight out of 10 to like a 10 out of 10 this season. So I expect him to win a lot of best paints. I've really been following him and you are doing an exceptional job. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. I think, I think this is a four peat for me. It's a four peat for you. That's that's an elite elite club, man. I I know. I'm excited. You might be, I think you're one of like three people. So I think it's you, Tom Ogden and Robert Moreland are the only four peaters. So 
Yeah, that's well, a, like that's I was saying, I'm really good at going four and one. So this is the podcast for me. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be you're about to be the overall champion, though. I feel like if uh, if our other guest today doesn't beat you to it, because he is also an absolutely astonishing painter, world world class painter, and he is known for far and wide for his ultramarine gameplay, which is why he was invited to the stream house because he is just a great guy, great painter, great player, just like. Mr. Quentin, I am talking about Mr. Kasra Hushadar. You, you said it perfectly, mate. Did I really? I mean, it, it was a little slow, but. Hushadar. Your heart was in the right place. My heart was in the right place. I had to really think about it. I, I was kind of, you know, I, I always feel like I'm going to mess up your last name, then I hit it. But I'm happy about it. Um, I, I don't want to disrespect Kasra. He's, he is the nicest human being on the planet. However nice you think Cass is, like, double it, and that's actually Cass. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. This is, like, a nice guy podcast. We're going to sit here and just compliment. We've got Quentin and Cass around the same podcast. I just can't even um, – it's like the sportsman, the sportsmanship world championships here. <laughs> it's a good group. It's a good group. Cass, what have you been painting lately? Well, I mean, I had to paint up some Desolation Marines. That was mm-hmm. a good Mm. I, t- I tried to paint some hazard stripes on the uh, on the launchers there to make them look a little better. Uh, you know, mixed results. Now you have a you have an Instagram cast paints. Is that That's right? right? Underscore paints. Underscore paints. Cast underscore paints. Y'all should check it out. He really does some really awesome work. It's it's almost exclusively ultramarines, but I feel like he's progressively gone from like really really good to just like the step you see in like Golden Demon. So I'm I'm really impressed with this paint job. As the last few he's done. So y'all should check it out. Quinn, what are you painting right now? Sylvaneth. I have an AOS GT in um, two weeks, and I have one, two, three, four, five, six painted models. Dude, I am very excited to see the finished product on that because I know you were bouncing some color schemes around, and it was looking pretty hot, man. You had some, you had some really vibrant colors going on there. Yeah, I am. I'm doing a lot of experiment with inks and washes now to see if I can play up the kind of like beetleish effect on the wings. Um, I haven't found something I'm super happy with, but I've got a bunch of like schemes in the work. Um, the difficult part is just getting all the yellow done because I've picked a really vibrant yellow that's like. Not NMM, but is it NMM inspired, which yeah. takes a lot of paint. I saw your uh you're really bouncing off like some compliment colors. So you're doing some pretty out there stuff, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm sure schemes lately. I everyone needs a chill. What GT you're gonna be going to? The Warpfire GT down here in Florida. Warpfire, by the way, is one of our awesome Art of War sponsors. They have a really cool trading program, and you get a bunch of 40k and AOS stuff. Um, for a pretty steep discount. That store is awesome, and their stock is, like, limitless. It's incredible, the stuff that I can get on short supply. Um, for LVO, I sent them an email and said I need eight boxes of Harlequin troops, and two days later, eight boxes of Harlequin troops showed up at my door. That's actually – you stole my thunder, though. I was about to go into, like, a whole Art of War impromptu, um, like, sponsor ad, and then, yeah. bam, you, you stole it from me. But seriously, Warfire is incredible. Like, incredible. I, I also didn't take some of those Harlequins, by the way. I traded in a bunch of old demons I wasn't using and bought Harlequins instead. It's wonderful, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it is a freaking steal. If you live in the U.S., I don't know about their European or Austrian um, uh, distribution, but it is a fantastic asset to have for sure. 
Let me hear a little bit about the Stroomhouse RTT. I went last year. I know, Quentin, I know you were there last year. Cass, this is your first time being down there. And Matt, I don't know if you from halfway across the world have ever experienced it, but give us a rundown on what it's like being there. Well, I mean, I uh, I had a bit of a journey to get there. So a bunch of flights and, and layovers later showed up. And uh, actually, it was really funny. I knew I was going to have trouble falling asleep. I, I went from Pacific to Eastern time. So Quentin was nice enough to stay up late and just play an extra game with me. 2 a.m. games of Warhammer are like this thing that happens at the trap house and they're kind of magical because everyone there is really good, but also everyone will be really tired and sometimes a little tipsy. So you're just kind of like stumbling through Warhammer and they're always so fun. And that was how I met Cats was a game of 2 a.m. Warhammer. Oh, this y'all's first time meeting, like here at the Streamhouse RTT. Well, I mean, we had met in passing at uh, LVO, but really getting to know each other, yeah, we did it over a game of Warhammer, as is uh, appropriate. Really. Yeah, were y'all playing y'all's uh, Streamhouse armies for that game? We did. We did play our Streamhouse armies. I gotta ask who who won y'all's impromptu game there. Oh, two but, money took it for sure. Yeah, that was, that was me. Ah. It, was, it was the start. It was um, a rude awakening and the start of a realization that maybe I had made a mistake. Well, when you look at when you look at the Streamhouse RTT, how it's structured for those who don't know, but you should know if you're listening to an Art of War podcast and it happens every year. But there's eight players and they seed those players one to eight. I'm not sure how they did it this year. I imagine they changed it up because they didn't want someone like me playing Siegler again. But they they seed it one to eight, and then it goes into a single elimination bracket where it just kind of rolls down. I think this year was actually double elimination, if I recall correctly. Yeah, so this year was double elimination. It was seeded by the wonderful folks over at Goonhammer. Um, you can read an article on Goonhammer about their logic. Um, so let me see if I can remember this correctly. First seed was Jack, then it was John, then Richard, then Mark, then Nick, then Adam, than me and then cats. I think I think that was right. That's right. That's right. That sounds right. That sounds yeah. Right. Um, and it was seated. So first plays eight, second plays seventh, et cetera, et cetera. So Blake, I was where you were uh, with Jack. It was violent. I feel like me and you would have been a really fun streamhouse game to watch. I mean, we got to have that game happen. I feel like we're pretty close. A hundred percent. I would love to play yep. that. Absolutely. But uh, so that y'all kind of had a similar situation where you had the current powerhouse kind of up top and you had, you had some good players like top to bottom. It's all good players, but it's, it's tough because you don't realize when you're walking into the house where these people play every day, you know, you have, you have Jack on his home turf or Siegler on his home turf. And you're basically walking in as the guy like, Hey, I'm just here to, to roll some dice and show some pretty models. And you just get this yeah, stomp I'm the first guys. Yeah, that's me too. I'm like the hobby guy, right? So they always put the hobby guy down there at eight just to show, just to show some models off, I guess. But uh, I um, so I have I have a two anecdotes about the Streamhouse RTT just to put it in perspective. First, between the three of us, we all have the singular honor of not having won a single game in any of the Streamhouse RTTs. So let's go, all of us. Can I get a, a digital yeah. high five? Yeah, um, I'll give you. Is there a little? Is there a high five thing? Uh, I'll give you a thumbs up. There we go. We can do like the. <laughs> um, so for for everyone out there, um, I took basically my Streamhouse RTT list to a GT like the weekend before, so three days before the RTT, 
tied top table, so I got second and lost by like two battle points um, at a GT. And then I went 0 and 2 at the Spring House RTT. It's a different beast entirely. Who'd you play, Quentin? Did you you play John and then who'd you I have played to play? John right? again, and then I played Adam. Um, I, I did something kind of risky. I was like, oh well, I have to play Chaos Knights first, which is a bad matchup for Eldar. And so I took a weird, very skewed chaos, uh, list to counter Chaos Knights, and then I played Adam, and I was like, ah, this is in fact an issue. And I can talk a lot about about where I went wrong in list design and my flawed thinking in that regard later or now or whenever. Well, you you hold on to that, Q Money, because we're gonna we're gonna transition that here shortly. But I want to hear all about your game versus John, actually, and we can we can kind of touch on both games, honestly. I want to kind of just dip our toe in each of the games. So I feel like a lot of our viewers probably watched or they have access to watch the Streamhouse games in in retrospect. So, Cass, who you who did you play during the game there or during the tournament there? So I played Jack and then Mr. Mark Perry. Oh man, that's honestly though, I liked I liked that they went double elimination this year because despite the fact that I got stomped by Siegler last year, it, it was really kind of a game where you learn a lot by just watching him do things. And uh it's just such an honor to be able to play like good players like back to back. So I mean, absolutely, but like I if I'm being honest with you. A, a year ago, I had just started my competitive 40k journey. Like I was just a casual player who was mostly a hobbyist. And so to go from that to like getting stomped on stream by Jack Harpster, it was fantastic. I, I couldn't yeah. be here. Jack's a fun, a fun opponent too. He's a, he's a fun guy to play verse. You know, I have to laugh. He looked at the board state at one point early and he said, you know, I could just like, I could just win this, but you know what, Cass, I promised you violence. And so he was just a great sport about it too. And we had a, we had a game. Um, it was very fun. Jack is a wonderful human being. Everyone in Art of War is a wonderful human being. Yeah. I, um, that, I think that was the, the coolest part of the experience for me. Uh, I mean, I only played two games, but then I was just having a great time hanging out with everyone, getting to actually know everybody because i know nick pretty well but other than that it was uh it was all relatively new ground for me well when you turn when you turn art of war upside down and put it in another side of the world in australia then i feel like that's when you start getting the jerks you know we're all cool over here but the australian side i don't know about them yeah no adam right such a such a jerk he's a freaking <laughs> jerk from I'm, down under i'm a. I'm glad Jack was nice to you, Kaz, because Jack was not nice to me the last time we played. But we played at WTC, so it's a little bit different there. Yeah, but, uh, there's, there's some national beef there, national pride. I, I, I don't blame him. He uh, he played Tau and he went first and he just killed half my army and yeah, looked at me and it was like, yeah, this is uh, this is rough. So I'm, I'm glad he gave you you know, a little bit of sympathy there. What were you playing, Matt? Let's <laughs> not <get> <laughs> <laughs> I was not... It was, the, it was the auto pair. It was the eighth pair. It was the only table that was left, which was table eight, which was the light table. And I was like, uh, I see what's happening here. That sounds bad. <laughs> it's not good. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and roll through y'all's list. Cass, why don't you tell us a little bit about the ultramarine list you brought? Sure. So uh, I, I took a list. I kind of regret it in hindsight, but it was a, a bit of a departure from the type of list I was taking. And if I'm being honest with you, I was chasing that sweet, sweet Codex Warfare. Um, so I, I made some decisions I, I regret, but I basically rolled in with Gilliman because he is the core of how I play Ultramarines. Uh, Tigurius as well. And then two units of Infiltrators, you know, block out some uh, some Deep Strike. This was, I, I didn't quite know 
um, where how the matchups were going to be made. So I was kind of preparing for everyone and, and preparing with the tools I'm used to bringing. But knowing that Harlequins were first, I did include a Judiciar with the six-inch heroic, just so when he hits my lines, he has to think twice about what's going where. Um, and really, I think the funnest part of my list was the Ancient. So I brought an Ancient, and Quentin can attest it. Uh, it did more in my game there than it did with Jack, but that Ancient was a, a pretty spicy meatball because I had some co contemptors around it with the Volkites, and I had my Devastator squads that came down under drop pods, so two of those and some Desolation Marines, Eradicators, and Victrix Guard. And then I had the three Landspeeder Storms. So it was, a, it was a pretty shooty list, if you will. And uh, I think that's where I, I might have went wrong. I, I brought too many heavy weapons and uh, wasn't playing Ultramarines the way that I normally do. And especially with the terrain setup, it was, uh, it was a big faux pas, and I definitely paid for it in both games. Look, I know you're the um, you're the Ultramarines guy, right? Uh, do you think that sort of list is best played as Ultramarines? Like, if you were going purely to be competitive and you were going to play that sort of list, oh. would you play Ultras or would you play oh. like Absolutely. Iron Hands or something else? Absolutely, Iron Hands or, yeah. or even Dark Angels variation of that. Uh, even now with the Terminator buff, I, I still think they have play. So that would be if I was you know just going going hard. That's what I'd do. But I, uh, yeah, I'm a weirdo who's uh, obsessed with my my courage and honor. I respect it, my dude. I respect it. Quinn, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your list you taught, brought to the Streamhouse R2 team? So I, Quinton Johnson, had a uh, a bit of a ravenous terror shade um, in my head, and I was a little bit afraid of Chaos Knights. Um, so in my experience, when I, I was running Eldar, and I was terrified of John deploying on the line and just pushing me because if you try and get cute with Eldar, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I don't have enough damage. This is really bad. So I said, we're not going to have that problem. And I just put all the damage in there. So I put in 17 cannon bikes, 30 dire Avengers and the avatar. And I was like, I got this. We're going to kill everything. And that was pretty much the plan. It was just like max violence and nothing else. I love it. I love max violence all out because you you knew what you were going to play. You knew what you knew what you were about going in. So let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Cass. I like to talk about your game first. Let's go ahead and touch on, in on your game versus Jack. Tell me kind of what mission y'all are playing there in the first game. What secondaries you chose, and then kind of tell me where you feel like you went wrong in the game. Sure. So we actually ended up. Uh, starting on the scouring. So I knew that was going to be painful versus Harlequins. Gives them a lot of agency because he knows I have to come to the middle as well. Um, in terms of the actual scoring, I don't remember much. There was, unfortunately, um, we were kind of the first game. So when technical difficulties arose, it was uh, it was pretty disruptive. Uh, to, I mean, Candidly, I was already not in a good state, but there was just some interruptions in our game. So I can't remember any real details beyond the fact that I was not able to draw a bead on just about anything except for my Devastator squad dropping down. I did get first turn, which I I thought I wanted, but then after really looking at the board state, realized, yeah, I did not want that, but dice be dice. And so I, I rolled with it and tried to tried to kill some boats where I could and it was just not enough I will say 
the death jester uh one of the pivotal moments was the death jester sniping out the ancient i was a little careless and uh he was he was able to draw a beat on him and that kind of just ripped the heart out of my entire strategy so from there it was just trying to score as many points as i could i i recall saying i wanted to score at least 50 points against jack and i scored more than that so i was a happy camper by the end of it so you did better than me basically did what i could did what you could that's beautiful tell me a little bit about your game too there so i know we had um you know, the game two you had played mark perry what was mark playing actually Mark was playing a world leaders army and he had, uh, it was, it was quite MSU, um, with Lord Invocatus. And what did, how did you feel going into that one? Did you feel like you stood a chance versus that world leader, uh, kind of rush kind of stuff, or did you feel like you maybe were against the wall again going into this one? I thought I had the tools to kind of deal with it, but I'll be honest by this point, I was, I was pretty exhausted after the flights, the 2am game. And then the first thing in the morning game, my brain wasn't uh, where I really wanted it to be. And I, I miscalculated and misdeployed. Uh, deployed as if I was facing a shooting army when I was facing a rush army. And it was pretty quick. Uh, so I, I did think going into it, I had a chance. I unfortunately wasn't able to just with uh, schedules and whatnot. Mark was moving that weekend. I did ask for a rematch just for fun. He had said yes, but unfortunately we didn't get that before I had to fly home. Oh, that's a bummer, man. Because uh, yeah, Mark's a great game. Mark's a great guy. Oh, it was sure a real good time too. I mean, what a guy! Just such a sweetheart. Now, Quinn, tell me a little bit about your games. Your game one was it was versus um, John, John, and you had kind of prepped into this game. So, how did you? I feel did. Going yeah. Through? So this is my second time playing John round one of a Street Mouse RTT, and it went about as well as the first one. Um. So, like I said, I was really afraid of. Chaos Knights rushing me, so I brought lots of guns, and I had played this matchup a couple times on TTS ahead of time, and my plan was simple. Turn one, I'm going to kill two knights. Turn two, I'm going to kill two knights. Turn three, I'm going to kill four knights, and I'm put the avatar in the center. And that was the plan, and it had worked like four times before. And then, unlike everyone else that practiced and do it, John just hit all of his knights. He did this thing where he, like, pre-measured my movement and was like, well, I guess I'm safe here. And I was like, huh. So instead, what happened was, turn one, I killed zero knights. And turn two, I killed zero knights. And turn three, I killed zero knights. And then there were ten knights and a big knight in my face. Oh, man. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is uh, this is not great. See, what I did was, in order to pack in more damage, I sacrificed all of the, like secondary potential um, that I had kind of been relying on. So I didn't have any redundancy in like behind enemy lines or war patrol or things like that, but I'd kind of come to like just assume where I was like, my army's really good at behind enemy lines, so I don't have to worry about that. And then I got to the table and I was like, well, crap, I took all the things out that made my army good at behind enemy lines and I'm not good at that anymore. And then John had a secondary lead and also all of his army in my face. And it was bad. So that's what happened there. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, this is, a, I guess, a really interesting thing to talk about, right? Because this is what happens in a lot of time, especially in team lists. You'll sort of build these things that just, they just do damage and they just, they kill a certain profile really well. Or they just kind of, they're super fast and they go and they get behind walls and they get lines on things and they kill stuff. But when you're playing those sort of lists in, 
you know, in, in more singles environments where, you know, a win is a win and it doesn't really matter what you score. If your opponent realizes they've got, you know, a passive secondary advantage on you, if they don't have to sort of affect the game, that initiative is put straight on you. And if you can't kill them, if they're out of range or if they're out of line of sight or if you can't get around those buildings to to see those models, like you're just you're almost in a situation where the game becomes unwinnable straight away unless your opponent makes a mistake. And when you play someone like John, you know. John's going to recognize that. John's going to understand that hiding for three turns or two turns or four turns or whatever it might be, while sort of counterintuitive to an army that wants to get in and fight you, um, is just the way that you win the game. Um, and that's really tough when you sit there with all of your guns that have potential to kill all of these knights, but you don't get a chance to shoot them. Um, feels kind of bad. Yeah, I, the, the Awakening was going into turn three. I had a zero on Bring It Down. And I was like, this is bad. And normally that like, state, what you do is you step on the gas and try and, like, move forward out aggressively to take some risks. But I was playing Eldar, so I couldn't, like, go get them because, like, I have 18 space marines worth of durability. And any army in the game can just shoot 18 space marines if they're standing in the open, right? It's not that hard. Mm. Um, yeah, and look, that's it, right? And especially with an army like that. Again, like, I totally agree with you, right? The firepower is pretty sick if it uh, if it all connects but if your opponent has no reason to come out to you um <laughs> you don't get to connect with your firepower you still have a bunch of bikes that aren't really scoring secondaries just chilling out in your deployment zone and that feels uh it feels kind of sad it's like the guy with all the biggest guns and can't do anything with them um kind of sucks yeah so that's kind of how games the trap house and how the stream house rpt goes um if you watch the game between richard and mark it's world leaders versus Tau, and nothing happens for, like, five turns. Like, they both just, like, sit there and do, like, minor positioning tweaks, and then Richard wins by two. Yeah, well, um, that, that that's crazy, right? Because this is what happens, I think, in a lot of, uh, a lot of really high-level games, is, like, people can just sort of calculate what's going to happen. Like, you can calculate what the score's going to be on the, the passive scoring secondaries. And usually if both players, like, if, if John plays Jack, for example, but players who are sort of all the way at the top, they just say, okay, cool. If we both sit here, this person wins by four, so I have to affect the primary twice. And the game just becomes about affecting the primary like that. But you're right, that, that game especially is a really good example of that. Everyone just sort of stands still. Um, and, yeah, you're right. You know, Mark had to sort of affect the primary a little bit more to make any change in that score. Um, but, unfortunately, when you're playing, yeah, an army like, like, said, like this or like Tau is another good example where, you know, they sort of play – one phase essentially if you um if you can't connect you know there's kind of no point having guns if your guns aren't shooting things interesting thing that ends up happening with that it's also interesting how like so much of like medium table 40k is capitalizing on your opponent's mistakes like seeing what they do wrong but in high level 40k those mistakes don't happen so you have to go in with an like a it comes a lot more about like who has a better game plan and then who can stick to that game plan better as things eventually go wrong in minute ways. 100% agree with that, Quentin. Just want to echo that because, you know, going in, I realize how much I rely on folks to screw up and give me an opportunity. But if you don't come with the right right tool set and the right approach and they've done the math, I mean, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Quentin. Uh, I, I think, like, even from, like, personal experience, like, when I went to the LVO this year, I played... 
probably four of my middle table games where I did almost nothing. I just deployed stuff safely and picked secondaries I could passively score, and I just waited for my opponent to make mistakes. I wasn't even making plays in most of those games. I was just kind of chilling. Uh, and then when people came too close or put things out of position, you can just go and charge or shoot, and you kind of win the game based off one mistake. But as soon as you get to that top level, like you can't you can't play the game that way. You have to be actively making plays uh, if you think you know on sort of rough passive scoring secondaries, you're going to end up behind. There's this really interesting flip that happens between like the three and two and the five and zero oh GT tables, where your opponents all of a sudden stop measuring their models and start measuring yours. Yeah. Yeah. The moment anyone like aggressively measures my models every time they start a turn, I'm like, ah, this is going to be a really rough game. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I rocked up. I think I rocked up at a, an event a little while ago and well, the exact same thing happened, right? My opponent deployed their stuff and measured a bunch of my things. And then they just rattled off like 15 questions to me. And I was like, ah, I see. I don't know who you are, but you actually understand what's going on here. Cause you just asked me like 10 relevant questions that, people normally don't ask you, right? Um, and I, that, you're right, that's probably like the big the big differentiator there. It's, you know, does your opponent care about what your stuff does rather than just caring about what their stuff does? Because that's really, you know, the knowledge disparity, right? There are plenty of players um, who are really, really good at their own army and can play their own army really well. And this is like especially applicable to like people who play things like Tau that are really good at the shooting phase and really good at maximizing damage and positioning their army well, but they don't understand what their opponent's armies do well. And that's what the best players do. The best players understand exactly how everything in their opponent's army interacts with their own. Yeah, I am. So I'm learning AOS right now. And that's one thing I realized I is this massive inbuilt advantage I have is there's basically not a unit in 40K, except for, you know, maybe some really obscure, really bad unit. that I don't know what it does or I have like a pretty decent understanding of what it does. Um, and I didn't know how much I've come to rely on just like an intrinsic knowledge of, I know this thing shoots hard and I know this thing fights hard and that thing's fast. Whereas in Age of Sigmar, where I don't have that, I don't have this like, you know, 10 years of experience. I have to like ask a ton of questions and sometimes I miss things because I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know Seraphon were minus one damage everywhere. I didn't know that your more tech crawlers shot for five damage, that kind of thing. I'm learning that. So it's, it's important to know these things. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Kaz, this is probably a good question for you, right? As someone who's an admittedly newer player to competitive 40K, how do you find that? Maybe not specifically uh, around this event, given there's like seven other lists you have to learn, but there's not like there's a whole, you know, a whole tournament worth of lists here. But how do you sort of uh, approach coming into armies you may not have played before or players who I guess you sort of perceive as being better than you playing on, uh, a list you don't really understand. Like, how, how do you kind of approach that from from your point of view? Well, I mean, part of it is I go in with with my own general game plan, knowing what archetype of army I'm facing. But while I may not know their specific tricks, I'll generally have an idea of how I can beat armies like that. And it really helps focus my questions and, you know, the, the typical kind of things you want to know. Do you have any heroics or six-inch heroics? You know, do you have any ways to make me strike last, things like that um, are, are important. And then, you know, candidly, I, I will read every single codex um, and try my hand at making lists and talk to people who are better than me who play that faction and see what they're thinking so that I have a general knowledge. But when you face that specific thing, I just kind of, I mean, I'm a pretty open guy. Matt, you've played me. I, I have my spiel down pat 
of what I tell you all my gotchas are. So I tend to ask the same of, of other folks. And honestly, 99% of the time, people are happy to give you that information. Yeah, cool. I, I think that's a really good attitude to take into that as well. I think, you know, given the subject matter of this podcast and what I perceive the demographic to be, there's a lot of those players who are sort of in that 3-2 sort of 4-1 bracket. And there's some good stuff in there about what you can kind of do to level the the knowledge disparity there a little bit. Um, because that's probably one of the biggest things I, I find, right, is when you play someone who, again, you perceive as being better than you or plays an army you don't understand or like maybe has a deeper understanding of the game. You've got to make sure that you get as much information out of that as possible to give yourself the best chance of doing well. And, you know, sometimes your opponent will stand still like John did against Quentin and, you know, won't do anything that might look a little bit strange, but usually that means either they know something that you don't or, um, or they don't know anything at all. Uh, it's one of the two normally. Well, and I mean, it's important to take those lessons with you. I, I hadn't played any Warhammer until an RTT this past weekend. And I ended up winning in the last game. There was a moment at on Battle Round 3 where I just, you know, the blood loss was getting me and I kind of, I was going to push. And I was winning and I looked at the score and I did the math and I realized my opponent could not get it closer to a four-point win for me. So I didn't uh, because because that's that's those types of lessons you learn that actually stick and actually make you change your behaviors. Yeah, great, man. All right, Blake, over to you, Matt. Where, where do you want to go from here? Because I feel like we've gotten a little bit sidetracked from the um, the RTT itself, but I do think there's some some really good nuggets of knowledge in there. I think that's the whole thing of the RTT, right? Like, it's, it's almost like a learning tool because people like to see the best players play each other, but they also... I feel like everything you're talking about here is why we do it. So we can break down, you know, general concepts of what great players do. So I think it's absolutely relevant to this episode and it's kind of where I want to take it. So I'm really glad you guys took it that direction. Excellent. I like to hear that. Let's go ahead and go into part two here where we're going to, talk about, I don't even know. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. 10th edition is coming. I'm curious to what, uh, with the leaks and everything we've seen come out, I'm curious to what Quentin and Cass have to say and you, Matt, as well on how you plan to adjust your armies. Because we know that Cass is going to be playing some some Ultramarines and uh, Quentin, you're likely to be playing some Eldar. So I'm curious to see what direction we take these things. I thought you were going to say Quentin's going to be playing AOS. Well, I'm going to play both. Um, <laughs> I so funny story. I picked my AOS army and I read the rules and I was like, "This is awesome and I love it." And then I realized about a day later that I was just playing, playing AOS Eldar. And I was like, yep. "Ah." It's like, yep. okay, I guess I'm just addicted to fire invading. Um, yep. Uh, checks out. Yeah. Uh, no, a tenth edition. I I have not been this excited for tenth edition in a while, um, for a couple of reasons. One, ninth edition has just gotten pretty stale. Um, I haven't, you know, I, I don't really play that much. I haven't played that much from the last month since the RTT. Um, mostly because I have a lot of other things uh, going on. Just like, like my life is really busy right now. Um, but also just because people are bored with 9th edition. Everyone's excited about 10th edition. Um, uh, Games Workshop has been giving us that steady, like, supply of leaks on Warhammer community. And every day I wake up and I refresh it. And I'm excited to see what they... They give us. They just announced some transport stuff today. That's oh, pretty yeah. sick. Yeah, that's um, cool. My falcon gives you reroll wounds. I might have to go build my falcons now. Like, let's oh, go you're giving that. 
Quentin, you're giving too much info on part one, man. The, uh, everyone just everyone just close your ears. Don't listen to that Falcon statement. We we're we're going to part two, man. I'm sorry, everybody. We're we're jumping, we're jumping ship. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us, guys. We're going to part two. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check out our other podcast. We have the Art of War Vanilla now with Nick Nonavati. We have the very, very Austrian Art of War down under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved till he tried us. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Patreon. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 